We're continuing this morning in our series, uh, God Wins, uh, looking at the book of Revelation. This morning is entitled, The Big Picture. And I'm just going to read some verses from Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5, just a few verses that come up on the screen behind me. This is, uh, Revelation is really uh, apocalyptic literature, so it's, it's sort of like, sometimes it's a little strange and you look at it and you think, oh my word, what's going on here? So I've deliberately picked uh, just a bit of it that's uh, reasonably straightforward and uh, we're going to unpack this together and we're going to see God's got something to say to us this morning. This is what it says, Revelation chapter 4, starting at verse 1. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Then... I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. This lamb is Jesus. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. The big picture. I don't know if you um, uh, uh, watch Question Time, but uh, when I uh, you watch Question Time, you're, you're looking for people. You're looking for people there who are, uh, know a lot more about, uh, often a lot more about uh, subjects than you, and big questions that are going on in the world. And uh, the other week, uh, I happened to uh, watch Question Time. Don't often watch it, but I, it happened to be on. It was from Cardiff. Being from Wales, I'm thinking, oh, this will be interesting. Actually, do you know what? It's one of the few times I've actually been embarrassed to be Welsh. <laughs> it's not many. But this was one of them. And um, they were talking about the, uh, the question was about the Syrian crisis. So it's a really complicated situation. There is lots going on. And uh, one of the panelists um, was a singer, uh, described as a, a, as a singer campaigner. And... Um, the comment uh, that this person made, uh, uh, she was Welsh, and she, the comment she made was, uh, it went something along the lines of this. I'm going to give you a Welsh accent here. She said, well, she said, um, you know, you might not know this, but I've, um, I, I've, I, I've come across something uh, recently. The, um, the Syrian crisis got a lot to do with global warming. 
And uh, because uh, the rainfall levels uh, uh, be such, and people come in from the uh, they come in from the countryside, they come into the cities. Oh, and it's you know, and there's lots of people. And so, and, and she said a piece. And normally at the end, there's a bit polite clap from certain people or people on the panel immediately come in, and there was silence. <laughs> Nobody said a word. It was like shock. And uh, I read this the other day. It, uh, some, it was a, a telegraph, uh, telegraph reporter, Westminster reporter. It said, turn over to question time. Here, uh, Charlotte Church blaming Syrian war on climate change. Jump out of the window. The big picture. Lots of people have views on the big picture. Lots of people have views. And to be honest, often they're wrong. Often they don't have a, a clue what they're talking about. Sometimes they have a perspective on something, but there is a much more complicated story going on than that. And as we read this passage in uh, Revelations chapter 4 and 5, I, I mean, you look at it and so, you can look at it and go, wow, this is, I don't, I'm not really sure. What's going on here? You see, John jumps from uh, dictating a letter to seven churches. Suddenly, we find he's on a visit to heaven. And our our first reaction can feel it's a, a little like we've just followed the white rabbit down a rabbit hole into Wonderland. And oh my word, what on earth is going on here? Probably the most obvious explanation is the most helpful you see, John, had, uh, as if you've been here in recent weeks, you'll have heard John was experiencing uh, significant disappointment and persecution. He's on a prison island, uh, a bleak Greek island full of mines and human suffering. Jesus has just given an assessment of churches that he wouldn't have known personally, and the assessment was pretty grim and would have been pretty tough to hear. The days that John was living in for followers of Jesus, they were full of persecution. To be a Christian in those days was a tough thing to do. There were lots of people being thrown into prison and suffering awfully at the hands of the Roman uh, authorities. Life was difficult. Church life was tough. And even though uh, we may not uh, have experienced uh, as extreme situations that, as they were facing. There are parts of the world today where being a follower of Jesus is a dangerous thing to do. What about you? Are you struggling with disappointment this morning? Maybe you've come this morning, you're struggling with, uh, uh, you just feel low, find it tough, circumstances are hard. You are in the right place today because God wants to speak to you. You see, in order to encourage us to press on and not give up, it's almost like God inserts an aside into the, the passage. It's almost like suddenly there's, like, they call it a parenthesis. It's a, like a little aside, a, a break. It suddenly go, goes to a, a, a very different scene. God is showing John something significant. He opens a door into heaven so John can see what's going on where God dwells. He knows that John needs a bigger perspective. 
You see, sometimes when we are in the heat of uh, battle, maybe, you know, if you're training to be a doctor or training to be an accountant, or, and, suddenly, and the work is, the pressure is on, it's, it's hard, it's, oh, it feels like moments, it's over. The only thing that keeps you going is the bigger picture. If I press through and do this, I will have a career. Sometimes the bigger picture is all that keeps us going. And if we're going to be people who follow Jesus to the end, when we, then we need to be those who are focused on the big picture. As John lifts his eyes from his circumstances, from his disappointments, from all that's been going on, as he looks towards heaven, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a really simple lesson here for us. If we need to be filled with the Spirit, and which one of us doesn't need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Then we need to focus not on our circumstances, not on the problems, not on the difficulties. We need to lift our eyes and look towards God. We are filled with the Spirit as we look towards God and turn away from ourselves. Just going to take a moment. Let's just close our eyes. If you're here this morning and you just know that you need to see God in a new way, you need to encounter. You need an encounter with Him. You've perhaps come full of problems and and stuff's been going on. Nobody else might know about it. Internal battles, maybe. Then, right at this moment, I want you to turn your eyes towards God. Don't look at your circumstances. We're going to look to heaven and see one who is in control. So right now, just reach out your hands, and I'm going to pray for you to God to speak to you this morning. If that's you, just reach out your hands to him. Father, we come to you. We deliberately choose to turn away from our circumstances, all the pressures, all the worries, all the anxieties, all the fears, all the disappointments where we feel let down and hurt and wounded, where we feel we failed and disappointed, we're going to turn away from all of that and we look to you. We choose to look to you. Holy Spirit, I want to say right now, would you come and fill hearts, open people's hearts so they might hear the word of God this morning. Holy Spirit, come right now and rest on us. In Jesus' name. You see, Jesus wants us to see something this morning. And the first thing he wants us to see is this. He wants us to see ultimate reality. We live in a world where people are blinded from seeing the truth. The truth, ultimate reality is found in God's presence. It says, Paul says to the Corinthians that uh, the, the, the ruler of this world, the devil, has blinded the eyes of, of people. This world's philosophy has blinded the eyes of people so that they can't see the gospel. They can't see the glory of Jesus Christ. They can't see that he reveals God to us. They just can't see it. 
We live in a world just like that. And we need to be people who see ultimate reality. We don't need to be those who are shaped by this world's philosophy. We need to be shaped by God. We need to see the truth. God wants us to understand the truth. He wants us to understand ultimate reality. Whatever situation we find ourselves, God wants to help us get true perspective. You see, as you look at this passage, we see a couple of things. We see, first of all, God reigns. We go into the throne room. John goes into the throne room of heaven, and he sees a throne. And the throne isn't empty. There is someone seated on the throne. It is God, the sovereign God who rules heaven and earth, is seated on the throne of heaven. After September the 11th, 2001, after that terrible tragedy, George Bush spoke to the nation. And he spoke to the nation. He didn't speak on site. He spoke from the Oval Office. He sat behind the desk in the Oval Office in the White House and he made a statement to the nation and the world. Why did he do that? Because the world and the nation needed to see that he was in control. They needed to see that he was in the seat of power, that he was in the seat of authority, and he was in control. That is a little picture of what's happening here. God is revealing to us the throne room of heaven, and he wants us to know that he is in control. Whatever's happening in this world, this world is not a runaway train heading for disaster. There is a God on the throne who rules and reigns and will not be moved. God reigns. Psalm 93 tells us, The Lord reigns. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. He is in complete control. From his throne there comes flashes of lightning. There come rumblings and peals of thunder. This is the seat of power. God doesn't see, uh, John doesn't see God in deep debate. He doesn't see uh, God uh, phased by anything happening around. John doesn't see heaven's armies being mobilized or angels flying around taking orders. The scene is calm. God is not phased by anything that happens. He is never surprised. He is never under pressure. He is never worried. He is in perfect peace. When we get anxious and fretful, we need to look to the throne room of heaven and see a God who is in control of all circumstances of our lives. These passages were written for people like us when we face pressures and difficulties, when things aren't working out for us. They, need to, they remind us that God has everything in hand. He isn't phased at all. He simply reveals himself to us. God reigns on his throne. But ultimate reality is, is more than that. You see, we see God reigning, but we also see that Satan is restrained. Through the New Testament, we read that the, the world, as I said earlier, is under the rule of the evil one, under his influence. And that he's the God of this age, we're told in 2 Corinthians. 
And throughout Revelation, we see Satan, his hate of God, his hate of men and women, his malicious plans exposed through the chapters of Revelation. But in chapter 4 and 5, we don't see him at all. Because there is only one in control. There's no mention of Satan in these chapters. The ultimate reality is that he is like a dog on a leash. He can do nothing without God allowing him to do it. However menacing he may appear, God is in complete control. There is no battle going on in heaven for supremacy. God is supreme. And God wants to reassure us and encourage us this morning to press on and persevere. The beauty and the wonder, uh, uh, the beauty of heaven and the wonder of the one who sits on the throne breaks into John's bleak world. You know, this can be an ugly world. You watch the news, you see what's happening in Syria, you see what's happening in Iraq, you see refugee camps, you see shootings in schools. God wants us to focus on ultimate reality. How do we do that? Well, we need to remind ourselves of who God is and what he is like. The Bible tells us that he is all-knowing. Throughout Revelation, the, uh, Revelation chapters 2 and 3, which we've been looking at in previous weeks, we've seen that uh, uh, Jesus knows our deeds, He knows everything. He knows everything about everything. He knows everything about us. He knows everything about the church. He knows what's going on in our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows our struggles. He knows our battles. There is nothing that he doesn't know. He knows even the motives behind our thoughts. That's what 1 Chronicles 28 verse 9 tells us. You see, the world may dismiss God, disregard him as being irrelevant, but we need to remember that he is in control and he knows everything. He just knows. He intuitively knows. When uh, uh, the the question, uh, the, the Bible talks about him knowing, being able to number the sand on the seashore. He doesn't suddenly go, oh, sand on the seashore. How many was it? Uh, It was four billion, trillion, million, uh, or was it four billion? billion, million, he doesn't, he's not, he's not there counting, when he thinks about the hairs on our head, he's not going, oh, uh, one, two, Gabriel, you count them for me, he just knows, he knows everything, there is nothing that God does not know, everything he knows, not only that, he knows about your situation and circumstances. He knows what you're going through. He knows how you're feeling. You don't need to tell him, actually, because he knows, but he wants you to come to him in faith. Not only does he know everything, God is imminent. The Bible says that he comes near to us. He draws near to us. This great God in heaven, the one who created the heavens and the earth, this transcendent, magnificent, glorious, holy God draws near to us. He loves us. We've been celebrating that this morning in our worship. He loves us deeply and personally. He's a God. As we draw near to him, he draws near to us, we're told in James chapter 4, verse 8. He cares for us more than we will ever know. 
And if that weren't enough, he is all-powerful. All-powerful. God is all-powerful. He can do anything he wants to do. He just speaks the word. The Bible says that he calls things that are not as though they are in Romans. God just speaks things into being. He can do whatever he wants. If God is for us, who can be against us? This God in heaven knows everything. This God in heaven loves you personally. This God in heaven is all-powerful. Hallelujah. How amazing is that? He is our Father. He is our Defender. He is our rock, our fortress, our hope. He is the strength of our hearts, the psalmist tells us. He is our God. When we are in trouble, we simply need to look to him. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's what the psalmist tells us. We need to come to him. We need to put our hope in him. And as we do that, he strengthens us in our inner being. Isaiah puts it like this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He won't grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Hallelujah. That is ultimate reality. The second thing Jesus wants us to see is this. He wants us to see our authority, believers' authority. You know, when you get a passport, uh, if you've got a a UK passport, it says this at the front. Her Britannic Majesty's Secretary of State requests and requires, in the name of Her Majesty, all those whom it may concern, to allow the bearer to pass freely without let or hindrance and to afford the bearer such assistance and protection as may be necessary. She gives us, the Queen gives us delegated authority to travel under her name with a passport, a UK passport. How amazing is that? We go places and we present a little book with a photograph in it and they let us in. Incredible. How much more do we have as children of God? In John's vision, the picture broadens out from the throne and what we, would have read, we read earlier was around God's throne, there are 24 other thrones with elders sitting on it. Most commentators accept that these represent the whole church throughout the ages. And what John is being told is that as believers, we are seated in heaven on thrones before God. And as, the, as the, the picture unfolds, what you see is these elders, they throw their crowns down and they worship the God who's seated, seated on the throne of heaven. They bow before him. It's a beautiful picture that every follower of Jesus Christ has a unique position before God. We become children of God. 
heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. The promises of God are yes to us in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 tell, tell us this. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Wow. Wow. No wonder he urges us to live a, a, a Uh, Paul urges us to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. We need to focus on things above, not on things around us. We are Christ's ambassadors. You see, the point is we've been given authority. Jesus has delegated his authority to us as his followers. I read this to you the other, uh, the other week. Revelation 12 verse 10 reminds us, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of of his Christ. Jesus Christ's authority has been given to us, has been delegated to us. How amazing is that? What does that mean for us? Well, it means first and foremost, we submit to him just like the elders in that picture, they throw their crowns down before the God who rules and reigns. We are those who submit ourselves to God. We submit to God's word. If God's word says it, we do it. When Jesus says, believe and be baptized, we're those who go, okay, we believe, I'm going to be baptized. We're those who do what God says because we submit to his authority. When he says, don't do something, we're to be those who don't do it. When he says, do something, we're to be those who do it because we're under his authority and because we love him. We love him because he saved us, he set us free. We submit. To him. We're those who pray. We pray in his name, in line with his will, and by the Holy Spirit, we exercise his authority as we do that. God loves it when we pray. Tonight we've we've cancelled the prayer meeting because I want you to be up following Jesus this week when we're going to be talking about prayer and the importance of prayer. And we're going to be learning together and stirring one another up. Really want to encourage you to be there. Prayer is important. God loves to answer our prayers. We need to be those who pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We believe that when we pray, God breaks in. God answers prayer. He hears us in heaven and he answers. Our prayers, as you read Revelation 5, you see our prayers rise up before him like incense and God answers. How amazing is that? We're to be those who not just submit to God and obey him, but we pray. But we're also those who exercise faith. We trust him. We believe what he says and we live in the light of what he says. When we trust him, he loves to back us up. He loves it. He loves to come and back us up. When we're in a tough situation and we cry out to him and it looks impossible, he loves to come and stand alongside us and see us through. I mean, we've seen some amazing answers to prayer recently. Just seeing Brian on the balcony, you know, his, his brother... Uh, on the verge of death, 
coming to Christ in a moment. And then remarkably, uh, we don't know quite what's going on at the moment, but he just uh, going home, they, his organs were faint, but suddenly he's back home and uh, we don't know what's going on. We're still praying for him. I mean, a remarkable answer to prayer. Just, I mean, Brian and his family have been praying and others have been praying and we don't know what God's going to do, but he's done something quite remarkable in the moment. It's been, been miraculous, hasn't it? It's been absolutely miraculous. And we don't know what it happened. His brother may yet go to glory and be with the Lord. But I tell you, that's far better anyway. I mean, they want, us, want him to stay around because they love him. They want him to be around. But God is amazing. God hears our cries. Do you understand the authority you have in Christ? Do you live in the light of it? The final thing Jesus wants us to see, he wants us to see his victory. I mean, he wants us to know the significance of his victory on the cross when he died on the cross for us and he rose from the dead. I don't know if you uh, follow sport, but if you follow sport and tennis in particular, Roger Federer for years was, he was the ultimate champion. He just swept the floor with everyone. But there's, there's come a day where he's actually, he started to lose. And Djokovic and Nadal have, uh, uh, have started to beat him. And now he, he often gets to finals, but he often, most of the time, he doesn't win anymore. Jesus Christ is not like that. He has won a victory, and he will never, ever be defeated. And we see in these chapters heaven's perspective on Jesus' victory by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. John sees a sealed scroll which no one can open. He is devastated. He sees this scroll which stands for uh, God's plan in human history. And he, he, he realizes that there's no one who can open it. Who can open the seals on this scroll? Who is worthy to do it? No one can do it. How are God's purposes going to be worked out? He knows that it's tough for the church. He knows that things are looking bleak. And he's looking, he's saying, how can God's purposes be outworked? And he starts to weep and cry as he sees the scroll can't be opened. And then suddenly the scene changes. And there is one found worthy to open the scroll. And that the one worthy is, looks like a lamb that has been slain. And John knows, John knows He's the one he wrote in John chapter 1 verse 29. He wrote, he said that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he sees this Lamb that looking as if it had been slain but alive, worthy to open the scroll, he knows it's Jesus. He knows that Jesus has conquered. John is being reminded that Jesus is victorious. How can a rebellious people ever hope to come into the presence of a holy God. A God who cannot ignore injustice. Justice has to be done. Justice has to be meted out. And Revelation 5 reminds us that justice has been done. Once and for all, when Jesus died on the cross, God's justice was satisfied. Our sin was dealt with when Jesus took our penalty. We can be forgiven. We can receive grace from God because Jesus died in our place. 
But he didn't remain dead. He rose from the dead and he's alive forevermore. And his victory stands for all eternity and we are free. Hallelujah. We need to keep our eyes fixed on these great truths. When we're under pressure to compromise or give up, when we face seemingly insurmountable problems and difficulties, when the opposition seems to have won the day, when we stand up for truth and are castigated, we look to him. And as we do that, we join a great crowd through all history who have done the same and found him to be worthy, found him to be dependable, found him and his victory to be sufficient. The 18th century, 1700s, there was a move of God amongst Moravians. And there was a guy called Nicholas von Zinzendorf. He was a count. And uh, one day he ended up in uh, uh, a gallery and he came across a painting by a guy called Domenico Fetti, Behold the Man. And it's a portrait of Christ with a crown of thorns on his head and blood running down his face. And underneath in Latin were the words, I've done this for you, what will you do for me? And that moment was a pivotal moment in this man's life. He, he was a, a, a believer in Jesus, but in that moment, he was captivated by what Jesus had done for him. He was captivated by the victory Jesus had won for him, and it changed his life. He forever after lived for one thing, Jesus Christ and him only. And his followers, the Moravians, they uh, set up a, a place in a place called Hernhut. And they started to pray. And God met them as they prayed, as they looked to God, as they cried out to God. God met this little group of Moravians. And the result was, these people went to the far corners of the earth to proclaim that Jesus Christ was alive. They were captivated by this passage in, in, in Revelation chapter 5 where it talks about the victory of Jesus Christ. They were captivated by these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. These people were captivated by their vision of Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, victorious. These Moravians, they went to the far corners of their stories of Moravians going on slave ships, going to the, the west, going to the Indies to reach slaves because no one else was going to give them the gospel. And they went prepared to sell themselves into slavery if they had to, to reach people for Christ. Of the first 29 Moravians that went overseas on those boats, 20 of them died within the first years. And there's a story of two of them as they sailed from Copenhagen, first young missionaries, going to the Indies to reach slaves for Christ, perhaps never to return. This is what they called out to their friends as they left. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. As they went giving themselves, what they, they went because of a bigger picture and a bigger perspective. They went because there was a God on the throne of heaven. They went because Jesus Christ was victorious and he was worth giving everything for. They went because they wanted Jesus to receive many sons to glory. 
You see, Jesus' victory was to win and prepare a bride, his church. Ephesians 5 tells us that he wants to present to himself a radiant church without spot or wrinkle, holy and without blemish at the end of time. If Jesus died to make us holy, do we put the same value on our holiness as he did? Just think about that. He died to make us holy. Do we put the same value on holiness, our holiness, that he did? John Piper says that he didn't just die to stop us doing bad things, but he died so that we would be eager to do what is good. Titus chapter 2 verse 14. He died to give us a passion to do what's right. Are we committed to doing what's right? The Moravians' challenge is, is, it, example is so challenging. Jesus' victory was to make worshippers from every tribe and nation. Are we passionate about the gospel? Are we passionate about the gospel? You know, sometimes when we're going through suffering and it's difficult, we sort of think, what's this all about? And we almost want to give up. Let me read you something from a guy called Sam Storms. It's to the one who conquers. This is what it says. Suffering isn't designed by God to destroy our faith, but to intensify it. That will never happen, however, if we fail to look beyond the pain to the purpose of our loving Heavenly Father. His design is to knock out from underneath us every false prop so that we might rely wholly on Him. His aim is to create in us such desperation that we have nowhere else to look but to His promises and abiding presence. God uses even our suffering to draw us closer to him. Are we committed? Are we passionate about doing what's right? You see, our right response is worship. As you read chapters 4 and 5, the right response to this God who is seated on the throne, who rules and reigns over every situation and circumstance, is to worship him. The right response to Jesus Christ raised from the dead, victorious, the conquering king, is to worship him. God wants us, like them, to sing a new song about what he's accomplished for us. He wants us to be people who get up every morning with a song in our hearts, God, I'm going to worship you today, whatever is going on. We need to see the big picture. We need to look to heaven constantly, every day, be filled with the Spirit. We need to grasp ultimate reality. God is still on the throne. We need to exercise the authority that he's given us. We need to be humble. We need to be people who pray, committed to prayer, committed to doing what he says, committed to living by faith. That's by what God's word says, being led by the Spirit. And we need to live in the light of the victory of Christ. Holy lives, eager to do what's good. To be worshippers of him. This is what Paul says. I'm going to finish with this. And I'm going to ask the musicians to come and join me on stage. Paul reminds us of this. He says, 
For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's stand before God. Let's let's just um, assume just an attitude of prayer. Let's close our eyes. Father, we come and stand before you this morning. We stand before you and we lift our eyes and we look to you. The eyes of our heart, they look to you. You are the living God. You rule and reign in heaven. We say to you, whatever our circumstances are like, whatever's happening in our lives, whatever's happening in the world around us, we say that you are our firm foundation you are on the throne of heaven and you never change you don't change like shifting shadows you are forever the same yesterday, today and forever you are God you are all powerful all knowing all loving you are for us and if you are for us who can stand against us we look to you living God And we say we trust you over and above our situations, over and above our circumstances. We thank you that you call us sons and daughters, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Sharers in eternal promises that will go on forever and ever and ever and ever. And we thank you that as we look to you, there is one standing at the right hand of the Father one who has opened the gates of heaven for us that we might pass through undeserving, unworthy but we're allowed in because he is worthy we draw near to the living God because Christ has opened a way for us and we come with boldness and confidence towards you living God knowing that as we draw near to you you draw near to us we expect you to meet with us to break chains to answer prayer we expect you to lead us and guide us because you're faithful even when we're not faithful even when we let you down thank you that Jesus' blood is sufficient for us that whatever we've done our sins are forgiven our wrongdoing is wiped away because Jesus has taken our punishment how amazing How amazing we choose to look to you. And Father, I pray right now that you would break every chain that people are carrying, every chain as we were singing earlier. May chains be broken.
where hearts are discouraged, come and fill them with your spirit, with encouragement. May they know that they're loved by God. Where circumstances have been tough, God, break in right now. May they see there is another perspective. Nothing is too difficult for you. God, break in. I pray for each person in this room. Meet them right now as we sing this song in response to you.